Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. My name is Taylor Bickle. Last class session we talked about People on Sunday and Moves Grain, also the bad, or no, in English, the bad seed. Um, and where I left you off, Billy had just left France to come to Hollywood. Um, it didn't take Billy super long uh, to land a contract at MGM as a writer. And, it won and, and, and as he was working as a writer, um, in probably, probably 1937, 1938, he was assigned to a film called Bluebeard's Wife. On top of that, he was also assigned a co-writer by the name of Charles Brackett. Now, all I'm going to say about Brackett is Brackett was an incredible collaborator for Billy Wilder, and we're going to talk about Brackett at length later. Right now, I want to talk about the director of this film, Bluebeard's Wife, Ernst Lubitsch, because Lubitsch was not only a collaborator with Brackett and Wilder for the films that he directed, but he was also a great friend of Wilder and a tremendous influence on Wilder. Billy says this in his uh, biography, Nobody's Perfect. He says, everybody wants to do Lubitsch, and sometimes it is like Lubitsch, but it is not the real thing. There have been some wonderful comedy directors who had their own style, but all of them owe a debt to Lubitsch, as do I. Now, the three of these guys, Wilder, Brackett, and Lubitsch, all ended up working after Bluebeard's Wife on one other project, a classic, um, part of the great class of 1939 films, along with Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz, Ninochka. Now, Ninochka is the story of a young Russian woman who is sent to Paris and along the way falls in love with not only a man, but the idea of capitalism. Billy talked at length about Lubitsch in his interviews. That's how much he admired him. And everyone asked him about it because they knew they would get good answers from him about Lubitsch. One of the things he talked most about is what has now been known as the Lubitsch touch, which is impossible to define, um, but we're going to do our best. Here's an example from Ninochka. This comes from, again, uh, Billy's biography, Nobody's Perfect. And I'm going to read it straight from the book because it's a little long. I didn't want to write it all out. Billy says, Whenever our work went slowly, Wilder recalled, Lubitsch would go to the toilet. If he stayed there more than five minutes, we were certain that he would come back with an inspired idea. We made a joke about this, that he kept a ghostwriter in the toilet. On Ninochka, we had a problem that took us a long time to lick. We worked on it for days. How do you show on a film how these completely indoctrinated communists are corrupted by the luxuries of capitalism? And how can you show convincingly the moment this change takes place, how the ice of their ideology suddenly melts away? We were stuck. Then Lubitsch went to the toilet. He was there a long time. We figured he was solving it. He came rushing out and said to us, I think I've got it. His idea was that if the three communists who have never known capitalistic luxury are living in a hotel like the Ritz, they have to pass shop display windows, like you see in the lobbies of luxury hotels. In these windows are the luxury goods, clothing, perfume, jewelry, watches, and hats. And hats are haute couture creations. When the hat, I'm sorry, the hats are haute couture creations. When Garbo passes the display window, she would stop to look at an especially crazy hat, and she says to her comrades, how can such a civilization survive that permits their women to put things like that on their heads? After she has become acquainted with Melvin Douglas, he's one of the actors in the film, and has been up to his apartment to, quote, inspect the electrical system, she passes through the hotel lobby and stops again for a moment in front of the crazy hat. She shakes her head disapprovingly, but with a little less disapproval than she had before. 
A few days later, after she has fallen, fallen in love, she opens the curtains of her hotel suite and a spring day shines through the window. A spring day that one can only imagine in Paris. Even when you are poor in Paris, you get that spring. When I was poor in Paris, I determined I would come back to spring in Paris, but with some money. Ninochka is another woman, completely changed by Paris, air of love and by, by Paris, air of love and material comforts. She sends her three comrades with some francs to have some fun in Paris, but not enough money to have too much fun. She hasn't forgotten everything. When she is all alone, a Lubitsch scene takes place. Our Ninochka goes into the bedroom, and very carefully she locks all the doors. When she knows she is all alone and no one can come in, she goes to the bureau, and again, making certain no one is there, she unlocks a drawer and she takes out the hat. She's gone out and bought it. She walks to a full-length mirror and puts it on, and looks at it in different poses. At that point, everyone knows that communism has lost this woman. What makes the scene of what makes the magic of this scene is that the audience becomes aware of Garbo being led along the path of capitalism by her locking of the doors and looking around. Lubitsch has prepared the audience for some secret longing on her part, and then the audience understands. For Ninochka, the hat is like eating a forbidden fruit. So that's some Lubitsch touch. This idea of well, here, let me let Billy explain it some more. This one was in Conversations with Billy Wilder. This is the Cameron Crow interview. He says he, he, Lubitsch, realized that if you have two and two, the audience does not have to be told it's four. The audience will find it themselves. Let the audience find the joke, or in this case, the idea. There was always an innuendo in setting up situations, and you were rewarded by the laugh of the people who added up. Now, Lubitsch was a comedy director, so so Lubitsch, so so when Billy talks about Lubitsch, he normally talks about him in terms of jokes and things like that. But this idea of if you give the audience two and two, you don't have to spell it out for them. Let, here, let me give you another example. This one, this one is also from Nobody's Perfect. Okay, this one's a little long, but we're gonna go with it. People ask me, what was the Lubitsch touch? If I could explain the Lubitsch touch, if I knew the formula, I would patent it. But nobody ever knew how to arrive at it except Lubitsch. You can't steal Lubitsch. It was him. Let me give you an example. I'm in a classroom with a lot of very young, bright people full of ideas and imagination. I say, I'm going to give you a problem and you'll come back with a solution. There's a king and a queen and a lieutenant. The king is played by George Bavier, a very corpulent actor in his 60s. The queen is Mary M. Hopkins, who is very pretty. And the lieutenant, Maurice uh, Chevalier, who was at that time very young and handsome. I would like you to dramatize this situation. The queen has an affair with the lieutenant, and the king finds out. Do it any way you want to. Just stop and think about that. Okay. Big, large king, overfed, very pretty wife, and the lieutenant, who is having an affair with the queen, and the king finds out. How would you dramatize that story? Just just think about that for a couple of seconds. I'll give you some time. Okay. The students come back with good solutions. Amusing, a little long, but nobody in the world could come up with a better solution than Mr. Lubitsch did for the opening of the film The Smiling Lieutenant. He says, we open in the bedroom of the king and queen. He's getting dressed. There's a little nose rubbing and tickling, and there's a little nose rubbing and tickling, and it's all very sweet. Now he leaves the bedroom, and we see at the door with a sword and clicking his heels is Maurice Chevalier. He is now watching the king, and the king is going down a long staircase. Boom, 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 boom. Now cut back to Mr. Chevalier. 
He enters the room of the queen and closes the door behind him. We don't cut into the bedroom. That's very important. Now back to the king. He suddenly realizes that he forgot his belt and sword. He turns and goes back up the steps to the bedroom. The king opens the door to the bedroom, goes in, and the door closes behind him. We're still outside in the hallway, never inside. The king comes out, and he has his belt and sword, and he's smiling. He's going down the steps again. Boom, 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 boom. And the belt is not his. It's too small. Back he goes, and of course he finds Chevalier under the bed, right? But it's all done with a kind of throwing it away. That's the Lubitsch touch. He goes on. He says he had a skit for another picture, which they wouldn't allow him to do on account of censorship. It was with Charles Lawton. You're in the exterior of a harem, and you see that the sultan is leaving, his luggage piled up ready to go. Standing at the gate is Charles Lawton, who is a eunuch. The sultan says, Abraham? Yes, sir. Lawton answers in a very high-pitched voice. I'm leaving now. Be very, very careful and watch out for the beautiful girls in there. No girl is allowed out, and no man is allowed in. You understand, Abraham? Yes, sir. Again, in that very high-pitched voice. The sultan leaves, a window opens, and a very beautiful girl leans out and smiles and calls, Abraham? In a very deep male voice, he says, Coming. Everyone wants to do Lubitsch, and sometimes it is like Lubitsch, but it is not the real thing. But this this is what Billy Wilder aspired to. The idea of giving the audience two plus two and letting them realize it's four. Of not not ta- never talking down to the audience. Never treating them like idiots. Because that's what engagement is. That's what audience engagement is. That's what we're always trying to get to, right? This idea of, of, of engaging the audience. Well, if you're going to engage the audience, let them figure it out. Let them figure it out on their own. Not completely on their own. You, you, you have to leave the clues along the way. You have to leave two and two and let them realize it's four. But it's these kinds of examples that I think more of us need to, need to um, aspire to. Let me give you some more, some more Lubitsch touch, okay? Again, in Nobody's Perfect, Lubitsch, um, I'm sorry, uh, Billy says, The Lubitsch touch is the super joke. You have a joke and then you don't expect the joke on top of the joke that tops the first one. The joke you didn't expect is funnier than the one you expected. The Lubitsch touch is a light touch. Let me grab another example here from, from Nobody's Perfect. Okay, so this is an example from Bluebeard's Eighth, Eighth Wife. This was the first film that Lubitsch and Wilder and Brackett all worked on together. He says, In Bluebeard, I had the chance to do an idea I'd been thinking about for a long time. You know the old cliche, the boy and the girl in the bedroom both wearing the same pair of pajamas, him with the bottom and her with the top. Well, it happens that I prefer to sleep in the top, and I thought of a funny scene in a picture in which the man is wearing the top and the girl the bottom. Of course, you couldn't show it then. Now you could show them without any pajamas at all. Lubitsch had this problem of needing a funny way for Gary Cooper and Claudette Colbert to meet at the opening of the picture. This was the meet-cute. And I used to write down every meet-cute I thought of in a notebook. I suggested that Cooper's in a department store trying to buy half a pair of pajamas, the top half, because that's all he ever uses. Claire can't do that, and they have an argument. Enter Colbert who has come to buy only half a pair of pajamas herself, the bottom half. So the problem is solved. They both get that part of the pajamas they want, and they meet in a funny way. I myself never tried to buy <laughs> buy half a pair of pajamas. Lubitsch elaborates on the idea by having them insist on going all the way to the top of the department store for permission to buy half a pair of pajamas. The president of the company has to get out of bed to answer the phone, and the audience see that he is only wearing the top of his pajamas. That's the super joke. That's the joke you're not expecting. 
What he doesn't say in there is that on the phone, the president of the company says, no, they can't buy half a pair of pajamas. And then it's revealed that he's only wearing the top half of his. But that's the super joke. Wilder goes on to explain it like this. He says he wasn't just a gag man. He was the create. He was the best creator of toppers. Toppers are this idea of kind of laying one last joke on top of the joke you just made. You would come up with a funny bit to end a scene and he would create a better one. And he was always right. So Lubitsch, Lubitsch made a massive impact on Billy Wilder. In fact, in the book, Billy Wilder interviews in the interview, the art of Billy Wilder. He talks about this sign that he had made. He actually had Saul Bass, who you may remember from, um, from our semester on Hitchcock. He was a great titles designer. He had Saul Bass make up a sign that just simply read, how would Lubitsch do it? And he says, I made that sign. That way I never allow myself to write one sentence that I would be ashamed to show to my great friend Ernst Lubitsch. And the reason is Billy never wanted, he never wanted to settle for just enough. It wasn't enough to make a joke. It needed, it needed a topper. It needed to be the Lubitsch touch. It needed the super joke. Or it wasn't enough to just tell the audience for you had to you had to hold back and you had to say two and two. It's this idea of never settling for just okay. Because that's not what Ernst Lubitsch would have done. Lubitsch would have constantly been looking for what was better, what was the best way to do it. And when we're writing, when we're directing, when when we're the cinematographer, I think that that idea of how would Lubitsch do it, how would Lubitsch make it better, even if it doesn't apply directly to our trades, I think, I think that's important to never settle for just okay. You got to push yourself a little bit sometimes. And, and the digger you deep, the more creative answers you're going to find. And the more you're going to surprise yourself and surprise the audience. And sometimes that's all the audience needs is just to be surprised. I want to thank you all for listening again. Um, to Hitchcock University. That's all I have for this class session. Um, next up, we're gonna we're gonna get back to Billy Wilder being the director. Um, we're gonna talk about his his first Hollywood film, The Major and the Minor, and then we're into directing at that point. It's Double Indemnity, The Lost Weekend, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, thank you all again for listening to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. I've been Taylor Bickle. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to reach out to us about, any ideas, suggestions, whatever, um, you can email us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. There's also a, a Hitchcock University Facebook page, and then there's uh, Twitter, Hitchcock underscore U, the letter U as in university. Uh, thank you again for listening so much. We'll talk to you again in two weeks about the major and the minor. Thank you so much.